This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. My name's Luke. And I'm Simon Vance. And we're going to talk to Simon Vance about uh, being an audiobook narrator. Mm-hmm. Which I'm looking forward to. Oh, earlier on, we had uh, we had we talked to um, Jonathan Davis, who was one of my favorite audiobook narrators, and now we have Simon Vance, who's another one of my favorite audiobook narrators. This is going to be quite a pleasure talking to him. Yeah, I, I was th- I was telling people all week. I was saying I'm going to get Simon Vance, <laughs> and then I said I said they go, who's that? <laughs> Not audiobook people. And I said, well, imagine there's a a list of movie stars he's he, you know there's like the a list of movie stars there's like five or six major movie stars who you know are the the highest ones he's in that top you know <laughs> five or six well thank you you know there's grover gardner there's simon vance there's jonathan davis maybe a couple others right? yeah maybe a couple yeah, of others we'll let them in yeah pat fraley uh who sort of does a lot of uh, animation voices and does a lot of classes uh, uh covering voiceover generally and he also includes audiobooks he describes me as the uh, well scott brick as the brad pitt of audiobooks and and he describes right. me as the uh, george clooney of audiobooks which i'll take wow, that's pretty nice that's nice isn't hey. it <laughs> very nice that's george really... clooney with an english accent i know it's <laughs> pretty damn good i think yeah um did you get your start in soap operas? Uh, no, no, I didn't. No, was he started ER? No, no, I got. Where did I get my start? My God, I mean, I goes back so many years. There's little things along little signposts in my life that probably indicated that I would one day become an audiobook narrator. But um, you know, that's with hindsight. You know, I, I talk about the day my my dad bought me a, a reel-to-reel tape recorder because the the budget in England you have a budget once a year where they set prices and taxes and things for for gas and so on. And and he was going to put up the the prime minister was going to put up prices on um, on luxury goods. So my dad, for some reason, bought me a tape recorder because they were going to go up in price a couple of days later. And that was when I was about 11. Uh, and I, I loved listening to radio in, in England at that time, uh, all the time, the comedy shows, the drama and so on. So I used the tape recorder to, to do silly voices into. And I say, I've never stopped doing that. No. <laughs> yeah. We get to do, so get together was, with friends. Your first, uh, what was your first gig? What was your first like novel or short story? Or, or, or did you do radio first and then get into audio book narration? Yeah, I got well, the first gig was when I was six and my dad recorded me uh, reading from Winnie the Pooh. And the recording still exists somewhere in the family I, i'm annoyed because i can't find it but we're going to put that in the podcast feed I, I, as soon I wish as you i could I, I tell you i'd put it up on my website if i could find it because it kind of it was rather cute terribly posh i sort of had this terribly posh accent um but the first professional gig i guess or semi-professional was uh when i i joined radio 4 in the early 80s as a newsreader presenter on air um, and uh, it was an odd shift pattern. I had a lot of spare time, and a friend of mine who'd done it before me, somebody I, I knew from back in Brighton, where I was born and brought up, he'd done that job, and he'd spent some time with the Royal National Institute for the Blinds, talking book service, which uh, which seemed like a good cause and a good way to to use my time. So I, I went there, I auditioned, they took me on, and so for about eight years, I'd go in one afternoon a week, uh, spend about three hours recording, usually getting about two hours of recording, 
recording done. Um, and it was a wonderful experience. And I think there was a similar thing over here. Uh, mm-hmm. You mentioned Grover Gardner. He and I are much the same age, and we began about the same time. He for the Library of Congress, who had a similar sort of recording program. So, you know, we paralleled George out. Bidall, too. Hmm? Sorry? George Bedall as well. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's really the audiobook industry before the audiobook industry took off. Exactly. Is, is it's it's a, the training ground that it, I guess it's still going, but I guess it doesn't need to go as much as it needs to uh, mm. used to, right? Yeah, no, that's right. And back 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 then they had uh, you couldn't play. What I recorded for the RNIB went out on a particular kind of machine that you had to be blind or partially sighted to get hold of. You know, it was and and so you know you, th- these were not commercially available projects. Although towards the end I did sign a, a form which allowed some of these books to be sold on and we made a little bit of money from them because they were commercial but it was a tiny amount when i was working for the rnib it was just for like five pounds an afternoon for travel expenses so how long did you stay being a bbc uh, news reporter in brighton yeah well in i was started in brighton in local radio but yeah. i went to london for radio four and that was in ah. 1983 and i yeah. stayed there until 1992 so about nine years and i, I moved I over to heard your voice on the radio many times back then i'm sure because uh, in our house it was only radio four that was all that that's the only thing that was on there so all of my yes. first exposure to all of these audio dramas you know with the book at bedtimes and all those kind of things is all through is all through radio four so i Probably heard you on there quite a bit. Quite probably, because uh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, 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 I always remember fascin- being fascinated because I'd introduce news briefing at six o'clock in the morning. In the eighties, Margaret Thatcher made a point of listening to news briefing while she was ah. making a cup of tea for Dennis and herself after ten Downings. <laughs> I always used to think, "Hey, Maggie, how you doing?" <laughs> Great stuff. So, uh, and so you say you're now in. Uh, in the U.S., is, is that right? Yeah, I came over in 92, uh, and I've been here, so it's just over 20 years now. Um, wow. uh, yeah, 90, well, gosh, I'm 21 years now. I keep saying 20 years, but we're 2013. So, it's, yeah, 21 years I've been in California. I'm pretty much all that time in, in near San Francisco, just outside so let me, San Francisco. So one question, which I always think is interesting. Look, I, I noticed that I was looking through your Audible page. You know, you've got, like, you know... Uh, Two hundred books on all four hundred audio books, and uh, lots of lots of fiction books, but then lots of non-fiction. I see a lot of uh, like a lot of uh, Christian and devotional stuff. Do you think you get that work? I mean, why why is it the reason you get that work is because you have a a, you can do a good British accent, and a a British accent sounds more um, intelligent or authoritative in in America. (laughs) Uh, well, I think, think that's a given. Isn't it? Helps you. The English accent helps you. Oh yeah, I think that's a given. I mean, we we are basically we do sound more intelligent. We're not, but we we do sound. <laughs> I'm going to get so many letters um, <laughs> or emails, I should say. Um, no, I mean, I, I I started at a time when narrators did everything. You know, we, we yeah. these days because it's a much uh, you know it's, it's a bigger industry, but there are many many more narrators, and to get noticed, you sort of have to focus in on a type that you do best. Um, it's the same with actors. You know, going to Hollywood, you have to focus on your type, and you go to all the auditions for your type. But then later on, you get a chance if you prove yourself, you get a chance to do other things. And I think that's the same thing with audiobooks these days. But back then. You know, there weren't so many of us, and we got given everything. There wasn't quite the casting that there is now, so you get thrown all kinds of things. And I think, you know, because I, I was pretty good across the board, I've managed to retain that. So, uh, you know, I get a, I, I get sent everything. I mean, 
You know, I, I you get a lot of the big stuff, though. I mean, you got those Stig Larsen books, right? Oh, that yeah. Well, well, you know, I, I've been around and I've been I, I was getting awards. I think one of my first awards um, was for Dracula in 2000 when I did an unabridged version of that. Um, uh, it was an earphone award. Yeah, no, this was an earphone award. Audiophile magazine presents these uh, quite a few, a few every month for excellence. But it's a it's a good sort of marker. If you get an earphone award, that means you're 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 moving up in the world. Um, I've now got I think somewhere about forty six or something like that. Um, just had another one recently, but um, yeah. Uh, so uh, I've forgotten what I was going to say now. But it, it, you know, I. I proved myself early on that's right i proved myself early on so it was actually dan musselman at books on tape who sent me those stig larsons and he uh i'm so grateful to him because you know i remember the call you know i got something might be of interest to you um and i think he thought because i was european i'd probably be okay with swedish (laughs) (laughs) you know it's very close in american terms england and sweden are practically neighbors so right was this before the book like took off it was like before it became a sensation or was it already picking up at that point as a well, I know some people. It was picking up in Europe, and I know there's ah. somebody. At one, I know there's a little rival. Well, there's a somebody at one of the uh, audiobook companies who tried to persuade their company to buy the rights to this because they saw it happening in Europe, but they missed ah. out on it, and they 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 never failed to tell me about. We could have had that one, but it, yeah, was, it was like Harry Potter for adults almost, right? It was so yeah, hot. yeah, and it, so it was before it really picked up over here, and the difficulty. You know, I, I loved doing the first one; it was great fun, and then slowly it built and built and built. The second one came along and I thought, well, I've got a responsibility to make this sound good because it's a popular one. And by the time the third one came along, it was huge. And it was like, how on earth do I open my mouth and even begin recording? Because I have this huge responsibility now to be good. And the fortunate thing for me, then this is something for me, uh, my history, because I came through, uh, you know, the RNIB uh, doing books for the blind where there was no responsibility beyond doing a, a, a you know a reasonable job i wasn't trying to perform i wasn't trying to hit number one or do a best-selling book i was just doing the job and for me that that enabled me to to become good at it without the pressure i did an i call those days the apprenticeship so i had 10 years of apprenticeship before i needed to be professional as it were whereas these days new people coming in it's like you've got to be good from the very beginning and i didn't have that pressure and i think that enabled me to get on you know without those worries that pressure on my mind so you say that it's when you started off that you weren't performing were you just doing more of a straight reading without having to worry about different voices or or what do you mean about you weren't performing you were just getting the job done I think it's the mental state, you know, the mental situation, what, you, what you're in. I mean, I was performing. I did do voices. I did pretty much the same things, perhaps not to the same extent. But I didn't worry about it quite so much, you know, that, that um, uh, I, I sometimes liken it when you're learning something like this to, to learning to drive. When you first start driving, you, you grip the steering wheel and you look about a yard in front of the car. <laughs> you're thinking about, okay, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, got to do this. Well, in your mind, when you're comfortable driving the car, you're looking way down the road and things happen automatically. I had got to that state of looking way down the road and things happening automatically when I started doing professional recording. Um, I did all the rest of it in the apprenticeship, whereas new people starting today have that pressure from the start that they're like, it's, it's harder to, to shine immediately when your mind is on just looking you know at the words individually instead of looking through the words at the, what the story is and, and so on yeah. Yeah. i want to i want to talk to you about some specific audiobooks because me too i i think 
probably I've been list, I, I was looking at reviews of, of audiobooks and Simon Vance comes up a lot so I can't even find the beginning <laughs> on my website but uh, one of the one of the ones that stick out in my mind uh, I was talking with Luke before Market Forces by oh, yeah. uh, Richard K. Morgan yeah I think that's a really fantastic book and sort of forgotten compared to his other stuff mm-hmm. I guess because it's not a series but um that it's like a classic dystopian book, which you've done, you know, 1984 Animal Farm, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you? What, what, what were your thoughts on that one? When well, you, that was an interesting uh, one because that that did win me my first Audi in 2006. Oh. I think that was the first one. I'm quite a surprise. Um, you know, the, the, these books surprise me. It, it, it's it's hard to say. I, the books come in, publishers send me books. Usually they're not well-known books by the time that when they first come to me, unless they're classics, you know, the Dickens and mm-hmm. the Trollops and stuff like that. Um, and I'm not a literary critic. I can't look at a book and say, oh, this is a, amazingly well-written. I know what I like and I'm comfortable. I know when I finished a book that it was well-written because it flowed easily. Uh, but generally speaking, we don't have a lot of time to spend with these books before we have to record them. So I don't get a chance to analyze them and look at the history of them and, and you know, find out what the yeah i don't know what references there are in there and so on i just read the book and right. and i try to be as authentic with the story as i can you know I, I try to understand what's going on and relate that story um so when something suddenly clicks after i've recorded it it's as much of a surprise to me <laughs> as anyone else so market forces i i definitely enjoyed it there are many other books i've enjoyed that have gone nowhere um, market forces, I, I, some reason, uh, you know, th- these things have to be put in for the award by the publisher. So that one was, um, but I can't really say that I read it and went, well, no, I mean, market forces, I really did enjoy it. It was a great book. So, you know, it surprised me that it won, but, but then again, when I look back on it, it was a very deserving winner because it's a very well written book. And I, I think it makes my job so much easier as a narrator when a book is well written, when a story flows. And, and so, you know, I don't know how much responsibility I take for these, for the winners, as it were, over and You've above done the writer. Three other uh, Richard K. Morgans, I think. Uh, mm. 13 uh, is called Black Man in the UK, I think, Luke. Mm. Yep. Um, and uh, the Steel. two Steel Remains uh, series. And the Cold Commands, yeah. Um, yeah. And the third one, I think, I don't know, I haven't heard anything about that, but um, no. I think it's coming out soon, so I suppose I should make some space for it, because I assume <laughs> I'll get it. Um, yeah, 13 was fa- fantastic. I loved 13. I, I, see, in that case... It's got a real hard ending. I love the ending. Yeah. The, the, well, the, I, the death of the woman in it, uh, told from her perspective, was, was so hard to read. Um, I think I, I can't yeah, try to record you. I'm in her mind. I'm reading, you know, her thoughts. And it's just, oh, I, I had to stop and start several times. And I sort of go out and get a breath and come back and start again. Just because uh, it, it's something I learned as a newsreader is, in England anyway, is that you don't, it's not for you to dictate how the listener takes, feels the emotion. You tell the story and it's for the, for the listener to make their decision about it, if you like. I mean, you know, I can't, I can't, if it's a horror story, I don't want to be going in there going, oh, this is a horror story. <laughs> because that kind of, then you go, oh, God. then the listener has nothing to do. So, the thing is, you know. I've noticed, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I've just, just wanted to say, I noticed this among 
um, audiobook narrators who are just trying too hard, and when they get to a point in the action, and then they'll start talking, and then and they'll be more clipped, and then this happens, and this happens, and this happens, and then when it gets down to the normal, and after the action finishes, and they kind of bring it down again, and stuff. So and I'm just like, don't tell me when to be excited about this. I want to be excited. You just read it at the same speed all the way through. Don't speed up, or don't get like more excited in your voice as something more exciting happens. So well, I think, anyway, I, 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 the, the that's something that I notice about uh, about audiobook narrators that annoy me when they decide, start deciding to tell me what's important. If, if you well, I, I think that's a, a sample of the, the, the in, inartfulness, if that's a word, because yeah. I think you'll find I do speed up and I do slow down. I do play with uh, the, the, the the sense, you know, the, the speed of the, of the narration. But I, I don't know if I imagine you both know Doctor Who, the TV series. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I've hated in the last season is the music underneath. That has become so overwhelming. Oh, it's over the top. Ta- over, over the, the top. And, and basically oh it's doing God. exactly what you're saying, which is it's telling you what your emotion should be. Now, good background music, doesn't, it does that in a way that you yeah. don't notice. I think the same thing with narration, that I do speed up. There's, a, there's an art to it, you know, in, of action, doing action sequences. And there are times when action sequences should be slower. And there's times when they can be faster. And there's times when really sad scenes yeah. can be picked up a little bit. And you somehow have got to sort of go into the story and feel what's what's going to work for the listener what's going to get this story across in the best possible way without you know bludgeoning them as you say with a you know speeding up and going really fast when somebody's going to be attacking blah, blah. so yeah, i think that i was actually going to bring up the comparison to background music or you know theme music or something like when themes come in and and that's what that's the one thing that i really dislike about the Lord of the Rings movies it's like someone will turn towards the camera and the music will come in I'll be, it, it, before it even comes in I'm going to go and here comes the swelling theme and then it comes in zun, zun. I was like yeah, there. yeah. It's, even, no matter how good the music is or how good it looks or anything like that it, like you say the, the inartfulness is something that uh, is in I guess uh, what, like I say when it's done well it, you say that you do speed up and you do slow speed up and slow down but I guess it's when it's done uh in, yeah, in art, yeah right? and it's not always when you expect if you do what's expected then it's yeah. really boring uh, I think somebody once said you know the good narrators do the unexpected and it's not like surprising you or anything it's just in, in a more subtle Ooh. way yeah yeah <laughs> oh here comes a ghost <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I, have, right, no. I have two books that no. I want to talk to you about. First of all, okay. Simon, one yeah. is the Dune book. Now, this is a really weird thing. I had this theory about why some of it you're doing all of the voices and it's like a straight narration or like a like a normal one narrator narration. And then some parts of it, it goes into like a, a cast narration. Mm-hmm. And like the only way that I could that I could explain it in my head of why it was like that. And strangely, it worked. But I thought that maybe the cast narration was like an abridged version. And then you that they and then they just filled in the the stuff that was in the unabridged version with just your straight narration. But is there a story behind why Dune is part just you and part everyone else? It's, it's a really interesting question. I, I don't have an answer for that. No, I don't know. That is the ah. way it was planned. And the thing is, it does work. I haven't listened to the whole thing together. I've written to parts of it. Yeah. It, it was very odd, um, but it did win an audio. I think that was my second audio. Yeah. <laughs> We're going through them in order. But... Um, you know, uh, we've got a few more to go. It's ten now, I think, the number. Anyway, we won't go there. Uh, but the, the <laughs> Dune books, you know, it came to me. What what puzzled me about that, and I think it's a... Uh, I, I, I don't know how much better it could have been, but I, don't, I didn't know 
who was doing the voices. I didn't know what voices they were doing, the actors. I didn't know those scenes. So one character might sound one way from me, but they're completely different in the, when they're acted out. And I don't know who chose the acted scenes or whatever, but the, uh, I, I, somehow it worked. Somehow it worked together. But it was an interesting choice, and I, I've never done a book like that before. Because mm. someone on Goodreads said to me, because when I mentioned that, someone said, oh, it, what happened was that it was going to, going to be a full cast, and they recorded Lost, but then they accidentally deleted some files, and then so they never oh, did it, and oh, they just didn't. No, that, you said it was nonsense. only... Yeah, that's nonsense. That's, it was planned that way. I don't understand how it can be planned that way and yet still work so well because, like, in the middle of a scene, it'll go from, like, a cast audio and suddenly I'll be like, wait, this has just been one voice for, like, the past, you know, five minutes of this conversation and it's the same characters talking, but it, it, I don't know how it works, but somehow it just kind of went seamlessly from that's one the, That's the, the best other. art. That's the best art, isn't it? The, yeah. the, the stuff that you don't know how it works, but it works. I don't understand you were it. doing Paul, and sometimes a young, a young yeah. kid, well, I say young kid, but you know, obviously a, a younger actor was doing Paul, and yeah. I, I can't remember which was which, was which voice in, in the background, anyway. Well, it amazes me that, you know, that it works because I didn't hear what the young actor had done as Paul or how he was talking or the others, and yet it somehow, you know, perhaps that's you know, part of the being neutral, you know, not trying to do too much in that, that whatever I did fitted with whatever the actor was doing otherwise. But, you know, it came to me in that script form. It was already prepared, and I don't know if they'd recorded, I don't think they'd recorded the group scenes by the time I started. Uh, um, in fact, I don't think they had, because otherwise I'd have been able to listen to some of it, and then I'd been able to focus my character voices perhaps a little closer to what the actors were doing. Interesting. Yeah. I want to talk to you about another one of my favorite dystopian books that you did. Uh, 1984. It, no, 1984 is really good, and we did a podcast on it recently, but I'm not sure it was the Simon Vance version that I Probably heard. Probably Simon Preble. That's the one I think that... Uh, I think it was yeah. Simon Preble, actually. Yeah. I'm just looking at my notes from that podcast to see which version I listened to, but I can't find it. I think it was Simon Preble. The, the one I'm thinking of is V for Vendetta. Oh, uh, yeah. Which was based on uh, the, the comic book... And the script, and uh, put together by a guy named Steve Moore, who is no relation to Steve, um, to Alan Moore. The writer, yeah. Um, but I thought that that was even better than the movie and the, the comic. I read the comic, I, read, I watched the movie. I thought, thought the audiobook was really amazing wow. because it has, it has all that language um, that you know, mm -hmm. is in the, in the movie that's spoken uh, on the comic book. You can't see it. But it's designed to be spoken, I think, and then, and then it has no mask cover. Like there's no mask covering your voice yes. in the in the movie. You're, you, his voice is muffled. I have a little bit hard to understand him <laughs> because he's wearing a mask. Yes, but you get to do that V speech right at the beginning where he introduces himself to to uh, Evie. Yes, and that's like that's beautiful Shakespearean style writing. Yes, and I. I I mean, isn't that like where was that a horrible thing to do, or was it because it was so hard, or was it wonderful? Oh, I, think, I, would... I really enjoyed it. The funny thing about V for Vendetta, and I have to go back on this a, a, a little bit before the movie and the film came out. I am an actor in the Bay Area. I was invited in by my agent to read for the director because they wanted somebody to read while they auditioned actresses for Evie. So I actually went in and I was the reader opposite three actresses. And I'm not going to tell you their names because I don't think they'll want to know that they anyone to know they didn't get the part. But um, Natalie uh, Portman was awesome. 
I mean, I just knew after I'd read with her, and she kissed me on the cheek. I have to say that. <laughs> oh, she was so uh-huh. sweet. I know. She's, she's my other girlfriend now. But um, no, I, I, uh, I just knew at that point. So I was connected to that story when, it's, when they started filming it. I had nothing else to do with the film. After that, it was just, I was just the reader behind the camera for the auditions. But then, of course, when they asked me to read the book, the film hadn't come out. So I didn't know. I, I actually did, I think, look up and see which actors are playing which parts so that I had some idea that Stephen Ray was doing the, you know, the, the, the police officer Spectre. and so on. Yeah. So I sort of knew the people. So in my mind, I had them, but I hadn't seen the film. Um, uh, and I, you know, didn't, I, I didn't have anything else to base things on. But I, I really enjoyed the book, and I was so pleased when it did, it did well that people liked the book, because often these, these film uh, adaptations... Novelizations are so terrible. Yeah, yeah but this one, was, I can't remember who, who wrote that. Steve Moore. Steve Moore. Steve Moore's the author. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, it was, it was wonderful. And, and then, of course, I went to see the movie, and I walked out of the movie into a bookshop over the road, and there was my copy of Viva Vendetta in the audiobook section of, of the oh. Barnes & Noble that was there. So it was. I just loved the connection with that whole story. It was great. It's 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 a fantastic. I think the the book is an improvement on both because what it does is it it adds the depth of the comic, mm-hmm. but it rearranges the story uh, in the way the the movie does to put the the blowing up of uh, Parliament at the end mm. instead of not the beginning. Right. So it takes the best of both and then gives it. <laughs> you know, like I think uh, who's the actor who played? He's the guy. Mr. Anderson from the Matrix. Yes, season. I can't remember. He's, uh, he's an Australian guy. I can't remember. Hugo, yeah, very, Hugo Weaving, right? Yeah. A very good actor. Yes. But he's completely covered. You can't... Mm-hmm. You, you never, there's never a reveal. And his voice is often muffled. It's yeah. kind of hard to hear him. I, I know it's supposed to be that way, but it, it's technically <laughs> difficult. Yes. So I, I just think that this is like the ultimate version of all of those. Especially if you've seen the movie, this is the better way to get inside of it. Right, um, great. You, you did uh, all the, is it all the James Bond books? That you yeah. Mean, Fleming books? Yeah, all but one. All but one. They sent me one book, but it was from the female point of view, so I sent it back, and Wanda McCadden uh, did it. Um, but yeah, I did, uh, I did them all. I'm not sure the rights for those have now expired, and I'm not sure how much longer they're available, because oh, really? I know Audio Go... That, these were for Blackstone audiobooks over mm-hmm. here, and Audio Go and Blackstone have now combined. But just before they combined, um, in the UK, they got famous actors. Oh. <laughs> the bane of audiobook narrators' lives. They got famous actors to do each one individually. And yeah. I believe they're very they're all good. They're different, though. That's, that, yeah. I, I, I don't think that that works as a series. The other series I wanted to ask you about that I've not seen available, but I actually I want to actually get these because I loved them as a kid. The Green No books are those ah. available still? Ah, you know I don't know. I did. Who, who did you do those for? I, uh, was it Listen and Live? Um, live or Live? Listen and Live. Right. Listen and Live. I'm not sure which it is, but it, I think it was for them. Um, I've got one on my shelf outside. I go and look, but uh, <laughs> um, well, tell me after, and I'll yeah, I'll, I'll go take a look because yes, I now I did those up in Seattle. That's one of the few because I record in my home. I have a studio. I'm sitting in it now, a little six by four by seven foot six studio. Um, but those were recorded with. Uh, a lovely lady, Kate Fleming, who was a narrator. Oh, yeah, um, she died. And she, she had a tragic accident just a couple of weeks after I'd been working with her. Um, so uh, that that's connected to a rather sad... Are those dual narrators? 
No, so, no, no. She was. Well, oh, she's, she, uh, she was the she was the director. So she okay. actually encouraged. She she worked with a lot of narrators as well in her home studio. She so she'd be recording, but she'd also do projects for other publishers and have them have them send narrators to her. So I did I did all the green notebooks with her. So uh, I don't I've not read them since I was a kid. Had you read those as a kid or Luke? No, have you? I didn't know. I them. don't know the books. I don't don't even remember they're, the name. They're like. Uh, kind of like Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe sort mm. of uh, style, I think. And I, I'm hoping I'm still going to like them, but <laughs> I don't. I, it Bless has you. been oh. almost 40 years since, uh, no, not quite, 35 years since I, I read any of them. Yeah. yeah. I have a I have a, another uh, quick book that I just want to say. Uh, Simon, in the, in the previous podcast that you just recorded, you, you mentioned that you'd done um, the, the Prestige by uh, Christopher oh, yeah. Priest mm-hmm. and that you now got to know him. I mean, do you, do you yeah. have... Do you work ever like? Do you ever normally work? Oh, put this way. Do you normally work closely with an author, or do you just get it? Or, I mean, you're, obviously, you worked with him, or you have some connection with him now. But like, what is it normally when you? Uh, well, generally speaking, if it's a new uh, new book and the author's still alive, because it's a little hard with Dickens and, and Trollope. Yes. I've, I've tried the um, you know the going round the table and moving the cup, but they, the answers take too long to come through. So um, <laughs> it's it's quicker with a phone and email. Um, uh, if a book, it, 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 well, some books are quite straightforward, you know, murder mystery and whatever and so forth, and, and the author's quite clear in the, uh, their intention of where the people come from and who they are, what their class is and so on, how they sound. That's often quite clear in the book, and I, I won't need to go further than that. Um, if a book has a little complexity in it and the author's alive, I will often ask to see if I can contact the author. I go through the publisher because there's, there's all kinds of traps you can fall into if you try and contact an author independently. Um, but uh, and with the prestige, I tried to contact him because it's quite a complicated book. I, I tried to contact Christopher. He was away. He was in France for a couple of weeks or, or for a, that week or something like that. So I thought, oh, the hell with it. I've got to start recording. And I started recording and I was about four or five hours into it. And it's only, I don't know, seven, no, ten hours book, ten hour book. And uh, I find he came back from his vacation and we had a conversation and based on that I threw away what I'd recorded which wow. I can do when I'm working alone because I'm not you know a lot of people I'm not got an engineer relying on me and so on yeah. So I I uh, I went back and I started again because he You'd obviously read the book through and kind of tried yeah. to get it clear in your head already. Oh yeah, because it's, so you did uh, yeah, it's one of those books you have your to, own yeah. understanding with of yeah. the book and then when it was clarified some clarified. Yeah, That's and really also, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, no, I was, I, just, I was only going to say that, yes, I mean, it just, it was also, it wasn't just that, but as I read it, I realized that it felt like an important book. It felt like a book I really, really wanted to get right, because, you know, the writer had put a lot of work into it. So, in a sense, the first five hours I threw away, not just because I hadn't quite pitched the voices right, but also I just felt I'd, I'll do a better job the second time round. I mean, it's often the case with books, and I can't do that with all the other books because you have to record them and get them out. But it's like so many times to get a second chance at something is very valuable. Yeah, because that the the prestige of of because uh, I do the science fiction book review podcast, and I've just gone just gone past two hundred episodes and over two hundred books read and reviewed now, and there's only what six books which have got the full five stars in my totally subjective star rating and the prestige <laughs> is one is one of those five uh, was one of those six books that's great uh, the last book I, I did as well so uh it's in it's yes yeah. it's, it's, it's yeah. in a prestige position there as well but i also i have a 
uh, mild spoilers for the book here, but I have a, an identical twin brother. So when I was actually, um, you know, when I watched the movie for the first time, I was like, oh, you know, it kind of gives it away a little bit in the movie. But then when I was listening to the book again, I was all because I always had that idea in my head. It was like, OK, like who is talking now? And I'm and I wasn't quite sure if like you as the audiobook narrator, like how what you were bringing into that, you know, of like, well, who is writing at this point? You know, who is because there's. So many different, yeah. you know, there's letters in one direction, journals in the other direction, another journal here, and, uh-huh. and each of them are written in different ways. And, uh, uh, yeah, and it, it, it's interesting to know that actually in that book, that is one that you that yeah. you had put so much thought in that you had actually discarded half, you did, you did half the work again. Uh, well, you kind of had to, I think. Yeah, I mean, I had to. I felt like, okay, I, it took me a, a while to get that whole sort of misdirection thing and, and, yeah. and what is the best state of mind to be in when I'm reading this? You know, I had to find the right, yeah. right place for it. And the thing, you know, Chris, I, I did make friends with Chris after that. And um, every time I go to England, I, I usually meet up for dinner. I did recently, this last trip I, went, I just got back from. I was, went and had dinner in Hastings with him. And, um, you know, he's always said he's been disappointed by the movie because uh, the, the ending is so sort of fluffed. It's all kind of yeah. blurred and, and you can't hear what they're saying. And, and so many I love the movie. I'm going to love the book because I, I think the, I think the movie was fantastic, and everybody it, says the book is way better. I think the book is better. I think there was there was one cleverer turn that like an, an extra clever twist. Well, not an extra clever twist, but like a, a another clever thing that they did with the movie with the fate of the the uh, of one of the. I don't, again, I don't want to give too much away, but there's yeah. there's uh, there's one of the outcomes of one of the characters and kind of like a final trick played on the other one. Um, and I and I think that's actually done slightly better in the movie. Mm-hmm. Not that you know, I, I do think the movie is one of the best science fiction movies um, agree, of, yeah. of the past ten years. And I think the Prestige is also one of the best science fiction books of the past. When since whenever it's come out. Well, I think uh, it's a thinking man's. It's a thinking man's. You can't go into it because it it, it suffered it because at the same time the Illusionist came out, um, which it's was a much simpler so based, based oh, on a so short story. Bad. Yeah, but it was. But I know people who who preferred that, and I actually sat with a friend uh, or a friend of a friend, um, and mentioned the Prestige, and he said with the Prestige, he said, "Oh, totally incomprehensible movie, couldn't understand a word of it." And I thought, well, you know, you have to think. You do have to sit there and you have to think about it to but work the out what's going on. He says, "I'm going to play a trick on you now. Here's the trick. Are you watching? Here's the trick." And you're like, "Watch." This is because I kind of knew the trick that was being played in the in the book, but then I didn't because it is different in the book. You know? yeah. um, but it is so amazing watching that movie. It's like, "Hey, check it out. Here's the yeah. trick. Can you yeah. see it coming? Can you see it coming?" And then at the end, he goes, "There it was." And you're like, "Ah!" <laughs> <laughs> it, it is. It, it's it's a demonstration of magic, whereas the illusionist is just like. Oh, and someone used some magic to trick someone once, and you're like, really, really, that's it, and it's all special effects. And what I loved about the Prestige movie is that there are no—I mean, there were special effects, but for the stage magic, you can see it's like real magic. You can see the birds getting crushed and all that kind of stuff. And Mm. in The Illusionist, it's just CGI magic and just yeah. He did. uh, Chris did a lot of a lot of research into magic for that book, obviously, and he's actually he was very proud of the fact recently that he'd been invited to talk to some magician's circle give their keynote speech yeah. at some event he's he's very uh appreciated by magicians yeah. for that for that work and also the other thing i loved about the book is because i'm a, a professional juggler and to read another professional entertainer like the whole you know the the journal like a big parts of the journal is how someone gets fame and success in that kind of area and i really enjoy that too right. and the other thing is 
just a, a, a quick thing. I'm, I'm looking for a recommendation because I was looking through some books of yours on um, Audible to see what kind of stuff. And one came up. It's called Left for Dead, The Untold Story of the Tragic 1979 Fastnet Race. And right. this is a story that I've heard of before, uh, but I've not read the book. And it's quite a short book. And I was wondering if you'd recommend that one. Yes. Yes, I think so. Yeah. It's it's fascinating. A, a story of survival. I do like uh, reading these. The, I did a I did one. It's a nonfiction. From, it's nonfiction. Yeah, it's absolutely nonfiction. It was in. You know, I remember it too, uh, the Fastnet race where so many people, they sent people out and they, they hadn't checked the weather forecast properly or they, they underestimated the effect of the, of the weather. And, uh, yeah, this, this poor guy was left for dead by his friends because they, they left the boat. They thought it was gone and he was dead and, and he wasn't. And he had to survive through this. They went off in some life raft or something that they had. And he was left with the boat with his, with his friend who died beside him. Uh, or was dying beside him, um, and it's just it's horrifying. It's just it's a it's a story of survival. Um, and as I say, I did one of the um, was it the Scott expedition to the North Pole. There's one by a guy called Cherry something or other, which I loved doing, which was um, you know survival against nature. The, the you know in that case the Antarctic. But um, yeah, this one, Left for Dead, is is uh, is a fascinating story, and and uh, it gives you some of the background because you, I remember the the race, and I remember the death list, and so on. But this brings it more, much much closer. Yeah, but do you, I was just wondering because it's because it's nonfiction. I just wanted to ask you, like, do you do, you do any different research, or do you c- come at a book differently because it's nonfiction, or I mean, do you put your newsreader? Head on, or like, wh- how how do you go about like differentiating, or don't you? Do you just do? I have reading? a I have a cabinet of heads. I, I they're interchangeable. <laughs> uh, no, I, uh, I no. I mean, the only thing about nonfiction generally is I don't need to do as much advance work. I mean, there's pronunciations. You know, I want to get all the you know the shipping areas right and the pronunciation of boats and names and so on but you know it's it's like when i love doing you know books about the second world war because i know how it ended and i know who the bad guys are um you know so i i don't whereas with most with a fictional book i'll have to look and see okay who's pretending to be who and who is going to be the bad guy at the end and just so i know how things are going to turn out with a non-fiction i don't need to do that and i, I you know I, I had some knowledge of the fast net race so i didn't have to read that far ahead to to be able to get into the book straight away so in some ways it was easier and i don't i i i try to bury my I, ever since i left the bbc i've tried to bury my newsreader voice about the only time the newsreader voice comes up is when there's a newsreader in the book but uh, the newsreader voice is a little bit too detached for something like this especially as it's written in the first person you know you're the person experiencing it um i mean i don't mean i think we talked some a while ago about pacing and stuff and um you know i don't rush in i don't make it more exciting when it's happening but there is a sense that i experienced this this guy is telling you what he experienced and the, and the, the sails came down and the waves came over and so on uh, and there's a, a sense where you have to be in that place you have to be in his mind to see it and and that influences how you read it but um no, I, I think the newsreader would have been too dis- dispassionate for this one, so I left him in the closet. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I want to ask about the Patrick O'Brien books. I, uh-huh. I've only seen the movie, but I I like Simon Vance as a narrator, and I'm thinking maybe I, – I don't normally like series, but what do you think? Is it a good Oh, yeah. I mean, you're asking, me, you're asking me if I, I like my books. I do. I mean, I, yes, I do. That, that, that particular series – um, I just got an email recently from somebody saying uh, what a what a great job it was uh, you know I'd done on those books. I think the Patrick O'Brien books are my high point over over a long period. I mean, it took me three, four, 
years to do them off, you know, didn't do them one after the other. Um, and I, I love them. I love the characters. I love the descriptions, the authenticity of the, of the story. The, the, there's just so much in them. Um, and, and, I mean, I, I don't know how how much to sell them. I mean, I just I, I think they're phenomenal. I think the movie was okay, but was that it, Master and Commander. Yes, yeah, yeah. Which which took parts of the first book and parts of the tenth book. I was so sad. You know, I, I persuaded Blackstone to do twenty one, which was the twenty first book, and there are only three chapters in it. But I said they had to do it just because he died after he'd written three chapters and a few more notes. Oh. And I, I said, even if you just add it as an addendum to number 20, because it's too short to sell, um, I mean, I think there's an essay attached to it, which I read, so I think it does come as a separate audiobook. But the idea that these two, Jack Aubrey and Stephen Matron, are, are floating out there somewhere, it's just, it, it makes me emotional even now, because they were just such rich characters such rich people and I, I wanted them to go on forever um, uh, and I think that's the way it is with, with people who listen to those stories because I know people who have not only read the books multiple times but actually I know people who have listened to the audiobooks three times or more the whole series wow yeah. quick question though I did just look it up now on um, Audible and it says it's all narrated by Robert Hardy and Timothy Tim Piggott Smith Okay, well, um, I'd have to go Just online. Maybe we find them on Downpour now. Which, yeah. yeah, which country are you doing it from? You're doing. It from? Oh, well, I'm in Germany. I'm looking in Germany yeah. here, and I so have that, noticed that there's been different different releases of the same book in different. I thought countries. I, I thought the uh, my versions were also available in the UK, but I may be wrong. Uh, What's the first book called in that series? Master and Commander. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I'll see if I can find it. Good, I but I, I have not the book comp to compare it to, so. Yeah. So Simon, when when we had um, when we've had other audio book narrators on, like Jonathan Davis, we've asked him what's his what's his not his favorite book, but like the, a book which isn't that well known that you've narrated in the last few years or something that you could that you could recommend. And well, a little bit of a clarification: how about some science fiction or fantasy? Because this is SFF audio. Or what's what's the book which <laughs> you prob we probably haven't listened to that you'd want us that you'd want us to uh, check out? <laughs> <laughs> well, gosh, that's hard because I, I think there's something like 500 books on Audible, um, uh, and I know I've done 700 or so plus yeah. audiobooks in total. Um, you know, we've talked about most of them. The Prestige is definitely up there, um, and 13. The, the the gosh, I'm I'm mentally there's going a brand through new one out. Just uh, I think we oh, actually Jason have to review Jason Huff. Those ones, the there's the Darwin Elevator. Now, oh, that one just came out. That, yeah, that just came out. There's three books now. That guy's a new writer, uh, brand new. This this is his first one, and he put I don't know phenomenal work rate or something. I don't know, but it, I think it's taken him a few years. But all three books have come out one month apart. The Darwin Elevator, the uh, Exodus Towers, and the Plague Forge. They're fun. They're fun. They're good action adventure stories. It's sort of zombie apocalypse meets the end of the world, which is a zombie apocalypse. I don't know. It's own aliens arriving and so on and so forth. Um, that's a lot of fun. Um, it's not, um, uh, and I hope uh, he doesn't take this the wrong way, it's not intellectually challenging in the way that the prestige or even 13 uh, you know, market forces might be. Um, it's just good, honest adventure. Um, so they were fun. They're, ju they're just in the process of coming out right now. I think the second one's coming out shortly. Uh, do you, is there anything you regret from you know you, having an English accent? Like you're not going to be allowed to do a lot of Philip K. Dick stories. Yeah. Is, is that is that kind of bum? Is there any? Oh yeah. Any 
I, I would love it because I grew up, um, I was just thinking the other day when I started reading as a child pan books of horror. There was like 21 oh. of them. And, that, and then I graduated. They were all short stories, horror stories. And I graduated from there, from there to the short science fiction stories like Asimov and so on. And, mm-hmm. and from there, I, I went to the longer things until I, I'd read Dune and so on. And then I was off into the classics, Thomas Hardy and so on. But science fiction uh, has a soft spot in my heart for those. And I am disappointed I couldn't do the Asimovs. I would have loved to do those. I, I haven't been asked to do, uh, probably because they've been done by someone else, but the Arthur C. Clarks. I would have loved to do those. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there should you know, be some Rama parts. and Rama 2 and so on. I would have loved yeah, to do that. I just this. listened to Rondo Who Rama before. Um, I can't remember who did the audio, uh, who, did, who was doing the reading of that, but uh, yeah, a mm. lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, uh, The Man in the High Castle is one of the other five star books for the SFBRP as well. So I, I, I totally understand. Why, I mean, if you were, if, it, like, if I was an audiobook narrator or if I was an actor, you know, these, these, all these actors say, oh, this would be my dream part, you know, and, these, and once these actors get good enough or they get uh, well paid enough they start like producing their own movies just so they can play the part that they want so uh, <laughs> i i understand i understand what you're what you're going for it's like oh if i could do that you know it would be great yeah okay. those there's, no, there's no reason they everybody in the future shouldn't have an english accent i yeah. I don't see any reason why. <laughs> yeah, but Philip Pinkett, you can't you can't imagine any of his characters called Joe having an English accent. You've, they they have to they have to have American. You, you get to do like a lot of classics. You get to do a lot of classics, but yeah. you don't get to do like American. Like uh, you're not doing Mark Twain or anything, no. right? No, that's no. right. Uh, yeah, and I understand that, and I'm fine with that. I mean, I I would hate because I get very self conscious, and I do do American accents in my books, but I. Uh, and I have been hired to do a sort of transatlantic through a book once, but um, you know I'm I'm fine with that. I understand that. But uh, and to be honest, you know, doing Charles Dickens and and Anthony Trollope and those ones does make up for an awful lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love this PDF on your page. Uh, you know, listing it's a ten-page PDF listing all the audiobooks that are in your search engine. There, it, how up to date is this? Not very. Um, okay. It just became somebody helped me do that. Uh, when I revamped my website about three years ago, I think. So it's probably, I think I dated it. Do I date it on the website? I think I might say it goes up to such and such a date. But um, yeah, I, I was thinking I really should bring that up to date. I, I wanted, I had an idea for the search engine that it would find the books and tell you where you could buy them. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I could be an affiliate and I'd make some money off them. Because yeah, I, I don't make any money off sales. You know, I'm, I'm paid up front, so I don't get residuals. But um, uh, that would have been so nice. But I, So it's still a plan. What unfortunately has happened with a lot of those books that are listed is that they're not available. The, the, the early books I did with uh, books on tape, when Random House bought them out, there's, there was a huge library of books and, and they, they you know, cut a book, put a bunch of them back on the shelf and you know they're not available so um do you think that the, the digit like that's a lot of those literally were tapes right so do you think that the digitization is going to make that sort of the dropping off of the the out of the catalog see audiobooks shouldn't go out of print i mean they're recordings they shouldn't have they're very cheap to digitally think so do you think that now that audible's in charge of audiobooks really yeah um do, do you think that uh, are you seeing stuff drop out of the catalogs no well? i mean i i i think my book sells it i, I want to know if simon vance is going to be sold in the year 24 or, i'd like you know, to think so 40. i mean it's going to be available a lot of it depends on the rights 
Um, and who has the rights and how long they last for? Because as I mentioned, the Ian Fleming books, I think the Blackstone had the rights for a certain amount of time and they may be expiring. And I'm not sure if they've been able to renew them individually for those or whether now the ones from England will take over. Um, mm. It's difficult to say. Audible have become that, you know, 8,000 ton gorilla in the room. And, and it's a little disappointing. I, I was talking to Christopher Priest, uh, we mentioned earlier, and his, all his books, his agent signed a deal with Audible. All his books are now being done by other actors I wanted I would have loved to do oh. but Audible uh, you know they, they unloaded and I said I have a love-hate relationship with Audible but they, they unloaded thousands of books onto the market just recently or a year or so ago they brought in all kinds of new narrators into the business who are okay you know some of them are good some you know cream rises to the top but there's a lot of average stuff out there and a lot of good books are done by average narrators and I would have loved to get my hands on it you know, I'm looking at Rendezvous with Rama on Audible now. Uh, uh, Peter Gannam, uh, it says, narrated by Peter Gannam, Robert J. Sawyer. And I'm sure they're very good narrators, but I would love to get my hands on that. Um, um, Robert J. Sawyer is one of my pet hates. As soon as he, he just does the introduction <laughs> or the forward. And as soon as his voice came on, I almost just stopped listening. He's to not he's not a very good reader. Oh, he, that's terrible. why he doesn't read his own books. But that's an introduction. He's I know. It was, just, it was just an introduction. But I just say I... I I don't slag just, previous podcasts. Yeah, yeah. you've got to be careful because you'll, you know, they, is it slander or libel or something? No, but, no. Um, he's, been, he's been a guest on SFF Audio before. Uh, he, he can, he can, if he, can if he never it. comes on a, a, again, I don't care. No, uh, that's not, it's not my, yeah. it's not my oh. podcast. I, I just say, uh, it, it's, it's just a, it's just a strange thing. Like, I mean, but you say that these, that the, the rights issues, hopefully it gets to the point where rights issues don't matter. Um, yeah. I mean, I say don't matter in the future. Hopefully, all this stuff is now it's digital. Like, I wanted to listen to um, uh, the player of games, and there's just no way for me to buy it legally uh, mm. at all. I mean, I just can't get it in Germany, in like as an English audiobook in Germany at all legally. So I had to just get a copy which yeah. wasn't, which, which I, you know, just download as a. As, well, I, as, I, I hope the, the publishers but, will learn eventually that that's yeah. the case, that people who want to pay will pay. I mean, you're going to get people, you know. Uh, I have an Audible dis- uh, subscription. Just get, like, I'm buying, like, I, I'm giving you money every month. Just give me one of these books. Other people yeah. can download it, but just because yeah. I'm in Germany, I can't. Yeah, and I had that issue. I think that I think the girl with the dragon tattoo. I think there's a European version out there. I'm not sure if my version is available, but I had people. Yeah. I, maybe I know one of the series that I did. Some I got letters from Europe, emails from Europe from people saying, "How do I get this? How do I get this?" Yeah. Um, and I, I got no answer to that because it's yeah. a rights issue that the European rights can often be separate from the uh, from the UK, well, US that's rights. How books, that's just how books work at the moment. And yeah. that's the thing with Ian M. Banks dying. We like to get a to get a, a German version. There's no e-books. There's no reprints and stuff like that. Yeah. So to get it secondhand yeah. is like forty euros just for a paperback from twenty years ago. It's just crazy yeah. at the moment. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, what I'm saying about hopefully the rights sort themselves out. That they'll they'll be a way in place that even if the rights holders do keep hold of it, other people like us users and readers and listeners will, yeah. or, or even audiobook narrators, like maybe, I'm sure you've got backups of all your recordings, so maybe in a hundred years' time, <laughs> people will be like, where is this? And the rights holder like, you can't <laughs> yeah. have it. And everyone I, else just goes, ah, but the I used to. state. I this. used to keep backups of stuff, but it, I ended up with so many covers of CDs and DVDs that eventually <laughs> I stopped, and I just, I just hope the publishers keep them. <laughs> Well, hopefully publishers keep them and listeners keep them and everyone keeps their copies so we can, we can keep these going into the future. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.
This visage, no mere veneer of vanity, is a vestige of the vox populi now vacant, vanished, a vital voice once venerated now vilified. However, this valorous visitation of a bygone vexation now stands vivified, and has vowed to vanquish these venal and virulent vermin vanguarding vice and vouchsafing the violent, vicious, and voracious violation of volition. The only verdict is vengeance, a vendetta, held as votive, not in vain, for the value and veracity of such shall one day vindicate the vigilant and virtuous. Yet verily this vichyssoise of verbiage veers most verbose, so let me simply add that it is my very great honour to meet you, and you may call me V.'